The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. One of the most anticipated IPOs of the year, risks not happening at all. Plus, what's an AI phone? It is Wednesday, January 17th. Welcome to the Tech Check Podcast. I'm Deirdre Bosa with Mark Gilbert. Hello, Gilbert. Good morning, Dee. A few topics today, but I think we should start with Samsung. It is probably the newsiest uh, thing that happened today. It happened in just the last hour or two. Out with a new suite of phones. And we don't always talk about these Samsung launch events, but this one, uh, they're talking about a whole new suite of AI features. Some people are calling it the first AI phone. Samsung calling it, quote, a comprehensive mobile AI experience. What did you think, Dee? <laughs> so... It was a little bit underwhelming because a lot of the features are not all that new or revolutionary, especially if you've been playing around with ChatGPT and BARD and um, all of these different large language model applications. Um, But Samsung calls its blend Galaxy AI. That's sort of its umbrella term. I just watched the presentation online where it released phones and all the new features, et cetera. But I would maybe sum up that sort of AI experience that's on the phone now into five main categories search, there's language translation, message composition and note creation, and then photo editing and processing. I mean, I, I thought the language translation maybe out of all of them was most impressive. The, the There was one reviewer I read who uh, used it to quickly call a restaurant in Korea and was able to make uh, was able to make a like a reservation over the phone, and the phone yeah. was able to do live translation both ways from English to Korean, Korean back to English, quickly enough to have a live conversation. Yes, and that's a great point. So let me kind of let me go back. Really impressive, but not new. Like we've kind of seen these in different presentations at Google I/O, even Apple stuff. But to see it work like this so seamlessly, that is kind of what's new here, right? If last year was the year of the AI enabler, and this is the year of the AI adopter, this is a great use case. <laughs> it's bringing those things that we saw thought were so cool and bringing them into your fingertips onto your phone so that they can actually be practical. And I think I mean, that's, that's a theme. That's yeah, and that's the theme we've really talked about, which is that last year it was all of this sort of. Um, um, I don't want to call it naivete, but it was kind of like uh, this this uh, this newness of like, wow, look at these large language models. And now it's kind of like, all right, well, like, show me some products. What are the products going to look, look, look like? And we're seeing that today. We're seeing some of the actual applications, which is that, you know, the products are going to look like, yeah. I don't know, what's something they announced? Like you could um, you could circle something. It's, it's called uh, uh, sur- search by circle. And you, you know, yes. circle something and then it does a Google search of that image or that thing I, you just circled. I thought this was... A good the presentation was a good promotion of Google's AI, right? When we talk about the mega caps who are sort of in this race, it's Microsoft, it's Google, it's Amazon um, in the cloud and application level, and then like NVIDIA at the GPU level. And I thought that this was a good endorsement because it's basically bringing all of those really cool Google AI features into the phone because Samsung phones run on Android, and that is the operating system that's powered by Google. Um, so 
2024, and we've been talking about this, especially on our discussion of Apple's AI strategy, 2024 is the year in which AI has to prove its purpose on smartphones, those applications. And that started today with Samsung. It might not be how we end up using it. Um, it might be some kind of iteration of this, but this is really the start. And the key development is not that these are new features necessarily. You might have seen them in different iterations, but the key development here is that these a the AI is mostly processed on devices, and that is different. You have chips that are powerful enough to actually do these tasks on on the phone itself versus yeah, and we're, you know translating or communicating with servers. Yeah, exactly. And I think we're nerdy, so we're going to talk about those actual chips, which is um, they're they're from Qualcomm, and it's the Snapdragon line of chips. And, and exactly what you said, it's sort of, you know, Qualcomm has already last year laid out that some of these features were going to be coming. Uh, but then you sort of see uh, from the actual smartphone makers, how many of those uh, features do they actually pick up from the chip makers? But these are, you know, th these have to be yeah. sort of like the cutting edge chip, which allows the phone to be able to run these types of applications. So it was at this Qualcomm presentation. It was called the Snapdragon Summit back in October. And that's when everyone was just jumping on the generative AI train. Every company, chip maker, et cetera, was saying, you know, we're working on this. We're going to have something. We're going to have these really like interesting AI propositions. And so back then, Qualcomm sort of emphasized its ability to run AI models and perform AI actions, both locally and in the cloud, showed off use cases for AI on smartphones. But if you look at sort of what the stock has done since then, not a whole lot, right? I think that we, we reached this period last year, this point last year when Wall Street said, don't tell me, show me. And this is Qualcomm's show me moment. If you look at its performance versus the other, you know, what we think of as the typically AI chip makers, that's NVIDIA, of course, that's, as we've talked about, more than tripled over the last year, but even a Broadcom, right? That... Um, Broadcom is up nearly 100% over the last year. AMD, right, which has also been working on its own AI chip, that's up 127% year-to-date. Qualcomm, 14%. So this could be a really interesting opportunity to for the chip rally and the case for AI chip makers to broaden to Yeah, and whether, whether and Qualcomm, Qualcomm can Wall sort of you know, flip the narrative, right? Whether Qualcomm can kind of, uh, you know, broadcast itself as an AI leader. I mean, I, I think exactly pointing to that chart, AMD... Uh, AMD being up, uh, you know, two hundred and twenty-four percent, and Qualcomm being up fourteen. No, that's that's Nvidia. Oh, sorry, NVIDIA sorry, I'm misreading the chart. Yeah, but, but still, those Nvidia being up two hundred and twenty-four percent, AMD being up one hundred and twenty-seven percent. Yeah, and then Qualcomm down at the bottom, up fourteen. It's like you know, it, it, you can really see a valuation reset if you're able to to um, you know spread this narrative. The other piece of news we got today was that uh, the biggest IPO of this year, it was going to be Shein, still might be Shein. Uh, it's the Chinese fast fashion company um, planning an IPO here in the US. But then today we got this headline, uh-oh, China's internet police, basically it's cybersecurity regulator, is reviewing, and this is always the term that we hear, they're reviewing how Shein handles data. Right. And I was able to, con Wall Street Journal had this first, uh, but I was able to confirm with a source familiar with the situation that it is under review. And by the way, we're supposed to call Shein, um, what is it? Fashion as a service company, not fast fashion. Not fast fashion? <laughs> because wow, the, the business model is is supposed to be more efficient. And, and you know, that, that may be the case, but of course, that's why we want that 
S1 that I, or it would be an F1 in this case, an IPO prospectus to really dive in and see how that business model works. Um, but the company confidentially filed to go public in the US last November, now facing a security review in China. And the source I spoke to emphasized that the review is centering on its supply chain presence in the country, because remember that Xi'an doesn't actually sell to the Chinese. They sell outside of China, but they source within China. But it's significant because um, a review by the Chinese authorities could impact the planned listing in a few ways. We've seen this movie before. Remember Didi? Um, it went public. We thought it was a successful listing, but then just days after Beijing launched a similar probe here, ultimately that destroyed billions of dollars in value and led to its delisting within a year. And I guess the point too is that you're never quite safe if you're a Chinese company. And Beijing has shown its willingness to crack down on even its most successful companies over the last few years. What a debacle. I had sort yeah. of forgotten about Didi. Goes public, huge sort of like, you know, publicity, this big moment. Wow, you know, Chinese ride-hailing company going public at the New York Stock Exchange. And then just, boom, hit with that, hit with that news that it was getting uh, that probe and then ultimately delisted just like, uh, you know, investors lost a lot of money with that. Yeah. And then before Didi, it was Alibaba, right? One of the most successful, you know, tech giants to come out of China. Um, also got kind of the smackdown from Beijing. It, different circumstances there, but just again, this idea that you never know what Beijing is going to take aim at, who's who's pissed off the communist government or who's, totally. who hasn't shown them the right enough face or something like that. And, and yeah, I think it really encapsulates that if you thought that that era was over, you know, think again, right? That yeah. that if if the yeah. Chinese government decides to clamp down on a business, you know, especially when that business is you know, grows too powerful and threatens to become, uh, you know, so large that it can't be reined in by the state, the state reins it in. And a lot of that happens, you know, in private behind closed doors. So you don't necessarily know what's coming in the same way that you might have lawmakers, you know, making noise about companies they want investigated here in the US because it's a communist government over there. Um, but essentially after Didi, right, that that really changed the landscape, changed investor sentiment towards Chinese companies because all Chinese companies seeking an IPO were subject to a security review from the CAC. That's the Beijing um, body that looks at the that looks at this and also needed approval from the government. So you saw others, including TikTok parent ByteDance, shelve or scrap their IPO plans altogether. Um, but maybe more importantly than the review itself is that the fact that it's happening draws attention to Xi'an as a Chinese company. Um, it has gone through great lengths to position itself as non-Chinese, moved its headquarters to Singapore, diversifying its its supply chain. I was texting someone this morning um, in China, a source of mine, and I said, aren't they supposed to be not Chinese? And he just kind of laughed because anyone who knows the company or knows much about the company just knows that it's a Chinese company. But except maybe it's consumers, right? It has had so much success here in America with consumers that a lot of people buying stuff from the platform don't know it's Chinese. Anyone covering the company, that's a no-brainer. I actually was looking for for data on this and couldn't find good sort of reliable data on how much uh, Shein's customers in the U.S. know that it's Chinese at all. Um I mean, I think it's really tough to know, right? Because there's there's lots of brands that have manufacturing in China or, you know, Vietnam for that matter. 
um, and probably don't think about, you know, where that's sourced, but because it's, you know, Adidas or yep. Nike, uh, you know, they think of it as like a friendlier brand, but I have no idea and, and really hard to tell, but I do imagine there's a large portion of Shein's, um, customer base in the United States that, that, that doesn't think of it that way. I mean, right. Uh, like the, like Timu, we've talked about the sort of these Chinese companies that have had so much success here and don't necessarily need to be consumers don't care where they come from, as long as you're offering cheap prices and efficient delivery totally it feels like sort of like a strategy from like the like the 90s like these like cheap made chinese goods flooding over into the u.s um just sort of the the difference is that they're going to direct to consumer that they're these marketplaces that they're not you know making them for like eddie bauer um sheen's group uh vice president marcelo Clore, who is probably familiar to our audience as the former ceo of sprint and then he worked with softbank was asked about this on our air and said it's a big misconception and called it uh, i mean of course he's at the company but he said Shein is the most global company i've ever seen have ever been engaged with so he's really trying to make this point that it's not chinese that it's that it's uh you know that's a global company and i think that these headlines are going to make it difficult to make that argument and it's only going to you know gain the attention of lawmakers here in the US who are already demanding more scrutiny before it's able to go public mm-hmm. Yeah, a bipartisan group of 22 Congress members um, last year wrote a letter to SEC Chair Gary Gensler demanding greater scrutiny before approving a U.S. listing. Um, But Sheehan was probably counting on this, right, which is why they have Marcelo Clore coming on TV and saying that, no, it's a global company and, and moving their headquarters to Singapore. But as it turns out, Beijing's review could be just as tough and it's going to be far less transparent when they do these kinds of reviews. It's a black box. You don't know how long it's going to take either. So this could really delay those plans if it doesn't derail them. I mean, you talk about our regulators, like right, they announce a review and everyone's sort of like, nah, who cares? Nothing's going to happen. Like a lot of times with these Chinese companies, when they announce a review, like the company does not recover. That could be a real turn. You know, I'm not saying it's going to be here, but it's definitely has the uh, opportunity to be more than just a slap on the wrist. Right. And then just the last point I want to make here is that this has broader implications for our IPO market at large, which has really been shut for like two years now, right? We did we did have some signs totally. of life last yeah. fall with we had like two weeks and where we got Instacart and, and Clavio, yeah. but they haven't performed particularly no. well. So it wasn't no. like a ringing endorsement of this market. Shein could be, right? It was. It's actually one of the biggest private companies in the world. It was last valued at $66 billion in the private market. So it's high profile, one of the most highly valued companies that's still private. Could have been a really, it it may still be a very interesting IPO candidate, but this um, may complicate the picture a little bit. And I'm not going to hold my breath because we've seen that once the Chinese government gets involved, everything is up in the air. Can we talk about one more story? You want to do it? Just yeah. quickly do one more minute. So shares of Instacart spiked today. It's up more than 8% right now, uh, all because an analyst at Wolf Research basically <laughs> wrote this note fantasizing about what would happen if Uber bought the company. And that's, you know, sometimes that's enough. And sometimes those are the most fun notes to read. You and I were debating, do we cover this on TV today? And we said, no, we don't, because, you know, there's no actual indication or suggestion that Uber's doing it, but, or Instacart would ever be open to doing this or thinking about it. But it's one of those fun storylines where every, every once in a while, the Apple Disney <laughs> acquisition Apple Disney. also comes You know, the up. other one I was thinking about it's is- It's so fun to think about. 
is sometimes like the, uh, you know, Laura Martin will also write those notes about uh, like what the value of Alphabet would be if you split it up, like what the sum of the parts is. And I think what's, you know, I don't think that anyone's actually arguing that Alphabet's about to be split up, but it does offer an alternate way of looking at the company. Sometimes you sort of shake it up. You're like, oh, yeah, what if YouTube was a separate company and and Google search was a separate company and they spun out all those other bets? Like, what would that company look like? Yeah. And when you talk about Uber and Instacart, it's really interesting because Uber sort of has become cash flow positive. You could imagine a world in which they could do some kind of deal. I, I don't know if they could, it would probably have to be in cash and stock. They don't have the cash to do something like this. I don't think. What is no, Instacart yeah, last they... valued at? Um, or or yeah, nor they would they, but they did yeah. just offload Drizzly, right? That for they, that was something, a startup that they bought for a billion dollars, which <laughs> probably isn't worth anywhere near that. Um, but they're starting to sort of streamline and grocery is kind of seen as you know, the crown jewel of gig economy delivery because you've got bigger basket sizes. And DoorDash and Uber are both sort of locked in this race to try and do more in the grocery space. And Instacart has has this presence already. So Uber, you could you see a world in which the, this both might be of them have the uh, the advertising business, the sort of like high margin yep. advertising business that's been bolted onto the original business. Um, well, but that yeah, was a copycat from Uber. Instacart's had that for longer, but agreed, agreed. It's it's things that Uber wants. We just, you know, it's, it's you just sort of have to underline that there's there was no news around this. This was just someone wrote a piece saying, "Hey, this is a this is a possible reason to buy Instacart. What if it had a merger with Uber?" But there's no actual reporting that any discussions have happened or anyone is even considering it. And sometimes it's fun to uh, speculate if there's a note that just makes you think. I'm looking at Instacart. Wow, it was up more than six percent today, and its market cap seven billion dollars. That is. Um, <laughs> This is the company I think at one point was worth somewhere around forty billion dollars. Yeah, yeah. So you know, private markets. I think it was valued at thirty nine. That was its peak. And something we've been talking about recently too is you know the possibility for more M and A strategics, private equity. Um, But if if valuations settle around here, we could see more of it. If not, if not, if not Uber and Instacart, maybe some other, especially in the software space. Um, But we'll keep continuing this, and we'll talk about the fun. Analyst notes as well here on our <laughs> Tech Check podcast. Um, tune in tomorrow. See ya. Dogs are an important part of our lives, and keeping them protected is a top priority, especially against nasty parasites. That's why you got to check out NextGuard Plus, a Foxaloner, Moxidectin, and Pyrantal chewable tablets. NextGuard Plus chews provide one and done monthly protection that kills fleas and ticks, prevents heartworm disease, plus, it treats and controls roundworms and hookworms. That's a whole lot of protection packed into a delicious beef-flavored, soft chew designed to make monthly dosing easy and enjoyable. So the next time you're at the vet, ask about NextGuard Plus Chews. They're the one-and-done monthly parasite protection you want for your dog. Use with caution in dogs with a history of seizures or neurologic disorders. Dogs should be tested for existing heartworm infection prior to starting a preventive.